You're listening to The Ascent Archive, a podcast of oral histories with rock climbers collected by the University of Utah and produced by the J. Willard Marriott Library. I'm Tali Kasuchi, librarian, rock climber, and oral historian. And I'm Rachel Whitman, and I'm also a librarian. For decades, memory workers, including historians, librarians, and archivists, have conducted oral histories to document life experiences of notable groups of people. These oral history transcripts, and sometimes their accompanying audio and video, are kept in the archives of libraries and museums around the world with varying degrees of access. This podcast, focusing on interviews with rock climbers, is an innovative approach to make oral histories more accessible and easier to listen to on the go or at faster speeds. The Ascent Archive podcast features oral histories that I conducted for the Rock Climbers Oral History Project and others from the American West Center's Ever Al-Kuli Oral History Project. To find out more about these collections, visit the Ascent Archive website, which is included in the show description. You're about to hear an oral history that is unedited. Please excuse possible interruptions, sound quality issues, potentially outdated or offensive terminology, and the occasional curse word. In this episode, you'll hear from Jessica Powell. Jess has worked in the outdoor recreation industry for several years. As the current event and partnership manager at Black Diamond Equipment, she oversees group and event series and helps create opportunities for marginalized communities with BD's new goal to diversify the outdoor rec industry. Jess is also the new chairperson of the board of directors at the Salt Lake Climbers Alliance. Hope you enjoy. Good afternoon. It's October 4th, 2022. I'm Tally Kasuchi, and I'm talking with Jess Powell um, in Salt Lake City about rock climbing, work at Black Diamond Equipment, and being a board member of the Salt Lake Climbers Alliance. So to get us started, Jess, can you introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up? Of course, yeah. Um, my name's Jess Powell. I was born in Boise, Idaho, back in 1988. And, and, um, growing up in Boise, my family was, was a pretty active family, but not in the same way that I am now. Uh, we were, my dad's like a big motorsport guy. So, um, I grew up on dirt bikes and on a boat and on snowmobiles and I do none of that anymore, but it did kind of, that's kind of what started my, my love for the outdoors was just hanging out with my family, um, doing those things on the weekends and in the summer and it was a it was a really cool cool way to like spend time together definitely what was it like growing up in Boise in like the 90s so I'm oh, guessing it's changed a it's, bunch when you go back and Boise visit. Boise is way cooler now than it was <laughs> when I grew up there um I you know we lived technically we lived in a suburb we lived in Meridian but um people don't know where that is so I just say Boise <laughs> Um, it was, we lived in the country, uh, like quite a ways out from like the actual suburbs where all the neighborhoods and grocery stores and stuff were. Um, so my, my house was just kind of plopped on an anchor of open fields and all around our house was cornfields, um, feed corn, not the kind that we eat, but the cows were psyched, um, which makes sense in that part of Idaho. Um, but yeah, we... I, you know, I grew up just kind of, um, running around in the yard 
you know, we had a canal that went by our house and every summer my sister and I would, this is probably frowned upon, but we'd swim in there and we'd catch water snakes and put them in our kiddie pool. And like, (laughs) that's just kind of, we had kind of a wild, like outdoorsy childhood, um, which was um, really formative to, I think, how I feel about them now as an adult. Boise is great. It's, It's much more hip now, especially in the downtown area. But <laughs> and I, I hardly went over there when I was growing up there. Yeah. What type of activities besides kind of the family uh, motor sports mm-hmm. outside did you like to do as a kid? You know, I played soccer um, most of my, like, growing up years. Um, and I, I really loved it until it started to get competitive. <laughs> You know, I I played varsity soccer my sophomore year of high school, and when winning started to be, like, really important, I actually got really turned off from it and uh, kind of stopped playing after that, and um, I'm just not, I'm not super driven by, like, I don't have a really competitive nature, I just kind of want everybody to get along, (laughs) so, um, but I I did play for a really long time, Um, and uh, other than that, um, you know, I'm just trying to think of what I think that was kind of it. It was soccer, and then like we'd go camping and play on the dirt bikes and um, spend time at the house playing in the backyard and pretty, um, pretty American dream esque mm-hmm. <laughs> childhood. <laughs> were there any uh, trips that you did as a family that you think were really valuable and formative to that you carry with you today? You know, nothing specific, but something I am super grateful for, you know, my family, my dad tried really hard to make sure that we got like a big road trip in every summer. Um, so I've been able to see like a lot of the cool, you know, national parks and things in the United States. Um, we'd go for like a week in the summer, um, and we'd all pile in the car. I come from a family of five girls, so we'd all pile in the car <laughs> and drive together for, for 10 hours to see these beautiful places and do do fun things together. Um, but I don't, there's not like a specific one. I think it was just this general appreciation for time outside with people you love. Mm-hmm. And that's probably one of the more formative things that has stayed with me and is still like a really core focus for me when I'm looking at what to do with the spare time I have. Mm, that's neat. Were all of your sisters really excited for the dirt bag the dirt biking and oh no Yeah, we're we're all pretty different. Um my my three older sisters were not super into that kind of stuff. They um they were they were all really talented like singers and musicians. So I, I'm kind of the weird one and <laughs> a different one in my family. Not necessarily weird, but um, my little sister was more like that, where she liked to play sports and and hmm. do the dirt bikes and yeah. things like that. But my older sisters weren't super super into it. Huh. <laughs> but they all enjoyed the national parks together. Yes, the, the road tripping. <laughs> That's neat. So how did you come across climbing? Uh, so when I, I moved to, um, Utah, I actually moved to Utah County when I graduated high school. Um, it was kind of like, uh, 
on a whim type move. I graduated and wasn't sure what I was going to do. And uh, one of my girlfriends down here said she had an opening in her apartment and I moved three days later. (laughs) And I've been here ever since. So um, when I moved to Utah, that's kind of when I learned rock climbing was a thing. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wanted to try it. So like I went out and bought shoes and a harness and it took me a long time to find people to actually climb with. They like sat in my closet, like perfectly poised, waiting for this opportunity when I would finally meet the right people to like teach me how to rock climb, um, which didn't happen for a while. They sat there for, for over a year probably before I, I found my little way into the community. <laughs> what were you doing between like the, I'm not interested in the competitive soccer aspect and then kind of be like, ready to go climbing but I don't have the people yet (laughs) um you know in that phase let me see because I was in high school I had like a high school boyfriend so we did a lot of like I dated him like all of the years of high school and so we mostly just would hang out together he was a musician um so I was like a a high school groupie (laughs) (laughs) um And then when I moved to Utah, I did start doing like a lot more outdoorsy things. I started hiking like on my own power. (laughs) Um, I got into hiking. I got into mountain biking, um, things you could do on your own and that you didn't need a lot of experience for. Um, I took some like fly fishing classes when I was in school and um, kind of learned more of those types of skills to to be outside. in the interim before I found rock climbing. I tried longboarding. <laughs> I, I only went once for on a, like a real longboard ride and I got scared and sold it because I crashed. But <laughs> mm. yeah. what, Why did you, like, how did you know that you wanted to go rock climbing and you went out and bought the equipment before actually like, trying it? You know, um... That's a really good question. I'm trying to remember, like, what exactly I thought. All I remember was, like, how I felt, like, seeing, like, Mm -hmm. photos and videos of rock climbing. I just thought it looked so cool. And I was like, you know, like, I bet that feeling of, like, being on, like, a sheer face and just, like, holding on by your fingertips would be really freaking cool. And it is. Turns out. (laughs) Turns out it is. Really cool. (laughs) So who? Um, were the first people to take you out? What was that experience like since it had been built up? <laughs> it had been built up. So uh, when I when I moved to Utah, um, a couple years later, I, I started dating a boy. And his brother was a big rock climber. And he actually taught me a lot of um, what I know. Like, yeah, he kind of got me started. Um, it turns out I learned later that it was like... <laughs> A little bit, a little bit sketchy, like the way that I was taught. Like, I remember the first time I cleaned route, um, he told me to like, hold on and put the rope, like untie, put the rope in my mouth and then like (laughs) thread it through after that. So I've luckily learned a lot more since then and also gained a real appreciation for how important mentors are, like knowledgeable mentors. Uh, Because I I didn't really have one per se. Like he, he kind of showed me how and... Um, and then I went to the gym with like a couple other friends and like was able to like build a different kind of network. Um, and we were all kind of just learning together, mm-hmm. which, which was really, really fun. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, there, I look back on some of those moments and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> like, we, we need to figure out a 
better way to educate people because there were some some scary minutes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you survived. <laughs> Yeah. Not yeah. doing it properly. No, no. I did learn. I did learn yeah. how to do it safely. But yeah, the first the first little like learning experiences I um showed me in hindsight like how important like a, mm-hmm. a good knowledgeable mentor mm-hmm. really is in a person's climbing journey. Because mm-hmm. um, the things you learn in the gym are are helpful for sure. Like you learn a lot of skills that can help you outside, but definitely not all the ones you need. Mm-hmm. Um so what was that, uh, what gym were you going to? And then also what was that kind of scene and community like? Yeah, so this is when I lived down in Utah County. So uh, the, I was going to the quarry, um, which is so, after being in Salt Lake for as long as I have, when I go down there, it like makes me smile. It's such a tiny little gym compared to like the ones we have up here. Um, but what I remember about the climbing community um, down there. I remember it being really friendly. Like, I remember, like, walking into the gym and feeling like I was just hanging out with all my friends, even though I didn't, like, go there with any of them. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I remember just feeling, like, really warm. Like, mm. everybody was was just hanging out, <laughs> trying hard. <laughs> That's great. So what, um, what motivated you when you first started climbing, besides... That cool feeling of yeah. <laughs> that you had thought you would experience from the posters. Yeah, you know, um, as as we kind of talked about earlier, like I'm not super competitive. Like I wasn't driven to like climb super hard at first. It was a bonus that like I, I'm like a kind of a, like I'm a pretty strong human. Just like you know, I've always been really active, um, and I'm pretty strong and could do some hard things. But I think. What really attracted me to it was the feeling when you look at something, you're like, oh, I won't be able to do that move. And maybe the first time you try, like, you can't. Um, but then you go back and, and you can actually do the move. That feeling, because um, it's not necessarily competitive, right? Like, it didn't matter to me if, like, you could do the move. Like, it just mattered to me, like, that eventually I could do things that I didn't think I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of been one of my main motivations for me personally as a rock climber, um, that, and like, what a cool way to like experience places and people. Um, so yeah. Neat. What, um, what are some maybe experiences that you've had out climbing that have kind of been really impactful to you or your friendships or kind of your climbing progression? Totally. Um, I think there's there's a lot there's a lot of answers to that depending on which aspect like you're looking at. Um, for me, one of my my favorite things about climbing and one of the things that was like most formative uh, was when I decided like I wanted to do more alpine climbing because um, that takes like a level of commitment that you don't really experience. You know, sport climbing or on boulders. It's like, well, you know, if we start like we're finishing, like, you know, and uh, I went up with a girlfriend of mine and we did, um, the full Exum on the Grand Teton. And I remember being at the base and just being like, so nervous. Cause like, I had no idea what was ahead. And, um, the girlfriend I was with, she, um, had done some track climbing, but not a lot. So I knew like a lot of the weight was going to be on me starting it. Mm-hmm. She had said she would switch leads 
that lasted one purge, you know, which is, <laughs> which is fine. Um, but like looking back on that and like, you know, how I felt at the top, I do love that. I love like starting at the bottom and being like, okay, buckle up, you know, <laughs> like we're starting and we're finishing. Um, especially an objective like that, which was, um, really the kind of first one of that nature that I had done with like that much climbing and we did it car to car. Um, so it was like a big day and I, I was a little nervous and, um, but we did it and it was awesome. (laughs) So I, I think, uh, a lot of, and I feel the same way when I start like desert towers, you know, um, so that's, that's like one aspect is just like learning that kind of commitment, um, you know, is, is pretty cool. And then there's like the, um, trying hard aspect of climbing. Like we talked about it earlier, but like when you look at something, you're like, I don't know if I can do that. And then you like do it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's, that's like one of my favorite things about like sport climbing or bouldering. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Um, uh, what about here in the Wasatch? Have you done any of those like somewhat longer <laughs> objectives? And have... Yeah, you know, um, I haven't done anything super long. Like, I've never done, like, the thumb. I've done a lot of the multi-pitches, mm-hmm. um, but they're, like, you know, somewhere between, like, three and six mm-hmm. pitches. So that is some kind of commit, but a commitment, but not quite... Not like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I, I really do love that kind of climbing too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and that's one of the cool things about the Wasatch is you can kind of find whatever you want up there. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to climb hard single pitch, sweet. If you want to get on a long multi-pitch, oh, it's there. Like, and there's boulders. Like, mm-hmm. you can do whatever you want. And yeah. mostly all year round. Like, if you are looking around and know where to go. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Um uh, have you had any other, you'd mentioned the desert towers, any memorable trips down in kind of the Moab, I guess, yeah. area doing desert towers? Oh yeah. I had a big desert climbing phase. Um, okay. Tell me about it. It was rugged. <laughs> desert climbing is so fun, but I just remember getting done with days and just feeling like totally wrecked (laughs) um but I think some of my favorite memories are are doing like some of the classic towers in like the Castle Valley area Mm -hmm. um I cried on Coringles you know Mm -hmm. like like you do like (laughs) uh, I got I got stuck leading that third pitch my hips got stuck in the off width and I um hadn't had any bro because it was off width and um Cried a little, but it was fine. I got under control and finished the pitch. But <laughs> um, yeah, there's um, yeah. I think I think I just spent a lot of time. Honestly, one of the best things about climbing in the desert is like camping out there, like with your friends. Like you do the hard thing all day, and you come back to camp, and you're just like super beat up, and you're just like <laughs> laying by the fire, like <laughs> just visiting about the day and, and laughing mostly at least me I'm always laughing about like the weird thing I did like <laughs> there was always something <laughs> um but yeah the the desert's a, a really cool thing about living in Utah um mm-hmm. to have that kind of access uh to, to something that special mm-hmm. um so easily you know mm-hmm. we're, we're pretty lucky yeah what makes it special to you I think um it's just so unique like, um, you know, you go, you drive down there and everything's 
red. You look like, you know, it looks like you're on a different planet and there's all these different cracks just like lined up next to each other and you can just like pick one, like you know, and, and it will go. Like, <laughs> um, I think this, the space and the history and all those things that are also found in the desert make it special. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of like cultural importance and like, you know, relevance, those types of things that are down there that, that make it extra special. Um, especially over the last two years as people have learned to like really kind of like protect and appreciate those things. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think, uh, it's just, it just feels like the wild, wild west (laughs) (laughs) when you, when you head out there. Um, did you, have you found mentors now that you've kind of been in the sport for a while or people that you maybe admire certain aspects and kind of inspire you? You know, um, I was thinking about this question when I was driving up here and it's a hard one for me because I don't know that I have like a specific mentor. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, knowing like how important that role is has really, um, made me want to to help that process for other people. Mm -hmm. Um, so there are, there are tons of, I can't talk about a lot of climbers that have really great qualities and characteristics (laughs) though, but they're not necessarily mentors. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think just instead of, instead of like knowing who my mentor is, I just, I really want to be something that helps that process for other people whether it's like I'm actually helping mentor them or I help connect them to someone who can like um which is a lot of what I do like at my job um which is which is fun like it's really fun to like be part of that process for for the climbing community especially women like you know I I do feel like um I can do a lot more for for the women in the community because I think in general, like we're a little timid to like make some of those transitions by ourselves when, when we don't, when we're aware that we don't know everything we need to know. <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel like I didn't answer your question. I just like rambled a lot. But <laughs> nope. yeah. um, so tell me about your job. Yeah. So how you got, how you like got to that job because Obviously, I'm assuming you moved up from Utah. Yeah. What was that process? Yeah. So I've been in the outdoor industry a long time. Um, I started working at a gear shop down in Utah County when I was in college. And um, my plan wasn't necessarily to, like, work in the outdoor industry. I went to school for recreational therapy. And when I graduated, I I practiced for a while. Um, But it turns out, like, I had a really hard time, like, leaving work at work. Uh, I worked with addicts and my sister was an addict. And so like, it was really hard for me to like separate those things. I'd go home and I just worry about my kids, you know, especially when they were on home pass and, um, it ended up not being, I ended up not having the right kind of coping skills yet at that time in my life. So I kind of, um, pivoted and went more on this like outdoor industry trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was at that shop. I, I kind of worked my way up to, to managing it and I was the buyer and as the buyer, I ended up um, making a lot of connections in the outdoor industry, um, which is like essentially like how I ended up at BD. Um, you know, one of the one of my reps when I was working there told me there was an opening, and and I took it. You know, I started in sales, and um, now I work in marketing as the events and partnership manager. 
um, which is super fun. It's a super fun job. I get to um, do a lot of like the outward facing things for Black Diamond, you know, um, all of our like consumer events and all of our partnerships and um, those types of things kind of run through me, which is which is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to like be part of the community that way. Neat. Um, what are some maybe uh, things that you're like most proud of that things have kind of that you've seen from the start to like the beginning of the process? Yeah, um, I, I've done a lot in this role at Black Diamond, like started a lot of things, um, for the, for the company. Uh, and a lot of it was, I just was at the right place at the right time. Um, which is pretty lucky. But, uh, one, one thing I really do love is, um, we started a, a ladies, uh, um, mentorship group. So we like, women can just like come or any you know, non-binary, you know, female identifying individuals can come. Um, we have gone climbing outside. So like we'll go early, you know, me and some of the other BD gals and set up top ropes and we just hang out and eat snacks and climb together and we'll do clinics at the gym. And, um, we've done hikes and trail runs too. And, um, that's been like a really cool thing to start and be a part of, um, because that, that is something that is like, really kind of driven by me as a person. Like, I think that's really important and cool. And I think Black Diamond's in a place where, where they can do those types of things. Um, especially here, you know, we're based here. Like we should, we should be like an active part of the community. Um, I've also been like a huge part of our transition into like more DEI type work, um, as an organization. I brought in a lot of new partners and a lot of new projects um, that I'm really proud of, you know, in, in 2020, um, after, um, George Floyd, Black Diamond said that, um, we were going to spend $250,000 to help diversify the outdoors. And, um, instead of just like writing a check and moving on, we developed, um, programs that we continue to pay for and fund every year. Um, and I'm really quite proud of like some of those, uh, we do a, a program with the um, AMGA for um, BIPOC folks. We, the American Mountain Guiding Association, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I <hope> I... <laughs> for those people listening, sorry, that's wrong. <laughs> but... <laughs> we'll fix it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're, they're essentially like the certification mm-hmm. for all like the guides. Yeah. Um, and so we started a program with them to help. BIPOC folks get into leadership positions in the outdoors. So we, we cover the cost of their tuition. We give them a gear stipend. We help them, we help cover their travel, um, to just make it more accessible because getting to those programs is, is difficult, you know, especially for, for people from marginalized groups where like taking time off work is hard because you like need to be making money and, um, they're expensive. And so it's been really cool to like, work with people to identify problems that we have in this industry. Cause there's a lot there, you know, there's a lot of inequity and problems that we have, um, to actually like find solutions that, that we can, you know, we can't fix everything, but like I can try and influence like this part, you know, this part of the outdoor industry where I actually have, inf- well, we have actually, bleh, we actually have influence as a company. Mm-hmm. 
That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And, and I've met so many amazing people and, um, it, what's been really cool. So now the programs have been running for a couple of years and we have multiple programs, but, um, but this program specifically has been running for a couple of years. And so these people have like become fully certified and they're doing cool things. Like they are doing really cool things. And it is so awesome to know that like we were like a part of that. And now like the vision is working, right? Like we have people of color who are in these leadership positions and they're able to like help mentor and get more people out into the community. And, you know, where before maybe people didn't identify with like these kinds of spaces and now they, they feel included and safe. And it's really cool to have like been part of that. What would it, uh, like looking at when you first started in the outdoor rec industry, Mm -hmm like where it is now mm-hmm. um what do you what do you wish that your you could have told your <laughs> former self <laughs> about these changes yeah um I wish that I had been more observant and known like noticed them earlier um you know I have a lot of privilege as like a, a white person from the west you know like I I was really blind to a lot of those problems um, and I wish I had been aware earlier and could have been like working towards some of these things in other jobs and other positions. Um, yeah. So I wish I could have just been like, open your eyes, you idiot. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, but I, I was pretty bubble wrapped. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so I think other than that, um, I think, um, the growth of the outdoor industry, um, you know, at least specifically here in the Wasatch, like, I don't know how long you, you've been here, but it's super noticeable, like how many more climbers we have and how many more trail, trail runners and hikers. And, um, I think that is awesome. I think it's awesome that more people have access and are, are like aware of these things and are getting the skills they need to like be there and participate Um, I think it's also a challenge because we don't have the infrastructure we need to like protect these places. Um, in, at least with like the quantities of people we see out there using them now. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would tell myself to think about that too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Try to, try to like preemptively think of some solutions so that I had more ideas when I got to the problems versus, (laughs) (laughs) versus me trying to figure it out on the fly. But (laughs) Um, what what is it like to work at, um, one of the, like, bigger, I would assume, companies, outdoor rec companies here in Salt Lake? What is that like, and are you, do you get to talk with other, um, people in the industry? What's that like? Yeah, um, working at Black Diamond is, is awesome. Um, there, there are a lot of challenges for sure, but it's really, really pretty great to work with people who don't even bat an eye when you're like, Hey, I'm going to be in late. Cause I'm going skiing. You know, I'm going to do a quick lap in little and I'll be in at nine, like, you know, or, um, taking off early so you can go do a multi-pitch in little before it gets dark. Um, it's, it's really cool to also like be on teams that it's our job to like figure out how to get people excited about things that we already love. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's a lot of really cool things and, being in Salt Lake specifically is really nice because there's a lot of outdoor industry, you know, companies that are located here. Um, and it's cool to like, feel like you're in a hub, 
like you know that you're part of it um yeah it's great when was your first outdoor retailer oh show (laughs) (laughs) you laugh now tell me about that experience yeah so I when I was a buyer I loved outdoor retailer (laughs) so when I was still working at that shop and you get to to walk around and get schmoozed Mm-hmm. Um, when when was this? Oh, like, so that was like yeah, yeah. It would have been yeah, yeah. Probably around then, 2013, 2015, twenty somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still in Salt Lake mm-hmm. uh, before it moved to Denver. Um, that was awesome. I loved a OR when I was in that position. When I moved to BD and started having to like actually work it, <laughs> that, that's a different take on the trade shows. Um, they're, they're long days with a lot of talking and um, very little sleep. Um, but it is still really cool, like in both positions, to like hang out with everybody because you are seeing like your friends, like you're mm-hmm. seeing people that you only see twice a year at OR, but you're you're really excited to like be running into them and. Mm-hmm getting hugs or drinks or tacos after the show. Um, so, yeah, OR, OR is a good time. It's a trip. <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> Seems you either love it or you hate it. Yeah, and I, for an introvert like me, it's a little hard when you're working it because I, I have to be on all day. You know, and my little introvert self on the inside just, like, slowly shrivels up. Like... <laughs> But uh, it's it's awesome because everybody there is people are psyched oh, at yeah. the trade show, which is really helps because like everybody just wants to like hang out and like smile and like <laughs> it's it's awesome. Uh, so I've talked to a few of the uh, color of the Wasatch and um, Salt Lake area queer climbers Slack um, folks, and they've just really spoken highly of. Black Diamond support for them. Mm-hmm. Um, what does what has that meant for like you personally, and then also from like a professional standpoint of like hearing those accolades <laughs> and just, like their appreciation. For, like, you know, um, it it makes me really happy. I um, when I got kind of tasked with this two fifty k pledge, um, not exaggerating, I bald for like three months while I was trying to figure it out because like I'm a white girl from Idaho I don't know anything you know and I felt really um underqualified to be doing that kind of work um but I did I you know I tried really really hard I did a lot of research I asked a lot of questions um I tracked down people who did know the answers and made them like Ask them to help me, you know, paid them, paid them to help me. <laughs> um, so when I, when I hear those things, it makes me really happy to, it makes me feel like it's working, you know, like, cause really, um, I want it to make a difference. The point of all the work and the investment is, is to make it so that people can enjoy this easier, mm-hmm. you know, with, with less barricades to their mm-hmm. own experience. Um, so hearing those things is, it's pretty great. It's pretty great to know that, um, it's working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were some of the lessons when you were like trying to educate yourself or what are some big things that you learned that? Yeah. Um, I think one of the, one of the bigger ones and 
even as a woman, I feel like I was unaware of this. It's, it, it applies to a lot of women. But one of the things I, I kept reading and it kept popping up in my research was how important that visibility is, how important it is for people to like see people like them doing these types of things. And I, I never really felt that way. Like I, you know, I didn't think that because I climbed with boys that I couldn't do it as a girl. Um, but I think that that is probably like as a, like male to female comparison is probably less impactful than like, um, you know, your race or your orientation. Um, because those people, like a lot of American culture really puts those marginalized communities in a box. And, um, so I think that that's one of the biggest things that stuck out to me was how important that representation is. Um, and, you know, realizing how much better we could do with that, you know, cause they're, they're out there, you know, like the people in these marginalized communities are out there and nobody's showing them. We're looking at the same type of person doing these types of activities. And so, um, yeah, I think that that was something that popped up a lot. Um, I think the other thing too, that was most important to me in the work that I have done since is not trying to like speak for anybody, um, but making sure that their message and their voice is being elevated on our channels. Um, you know, like we are taking their message and we're sharing it for them to a broader audience. Um, and that's something that like, I try to remember a lot, like whenever I'm working with, with marginalized folks or even, you know, anybody like, you know, cause it's not, it's not my job to tell, to tell a story about them. I want to tell their story. Um, so those two things probably are the biggest. <laughs> Very nice. Um, would you, if someone at you know, some other company was tasked with a similar task. And now that you've had a few years doing um, these type um, programs and things, is there anything else that you would tell them? Like, you know, here are some of some things that are, you can have success with or things that have really been. Yeah. I think, I think the most important thing is just to like my, my most successful method for this kind of work is to approach these groups. And I say, these are the resources that I have. This is something that I think could be cool, but I want to know what will be most impactful for you. Mm -hmm. And then let them kind of shape the project. Cause like, it's not my place to go in and be like, I have an idea. It's going to solve everything. You know, (laughs) like that's, I don't know. I don't know what what people need, you know? So, um, I think approaching things in a way that allows them like these groups that you're working with the control Um, and just being like, these are the resources. This is what I can offer. Something like this could be cool if you're psyched on it. If not, I want to hear your idea. Cause I also don't want to be like, put all the work on their plate either. You know, I don't want to be like, tell me what you need. Cause that's not like quite their job. Like, you know, you know, you can't be putting all of that work on their plate. So I'd like to do a little bit of brainstorming, but mostly, and just like kind of shoot out a few ideas and see what they're excited about. And then just be like, these are the resources. What do you want? Like, what can we do that will help you and your folks? Like, what do you need? <laughs> How can I help? <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Do you, um, in that process of approaching these groups, are you picking groups or picks groups coming to Black Diamond to be like, hey, I saw you were helping some of the Salt Lake. Like, we're not in Salt Lake, but how can you can you support us too? <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely both. Um, you know, with the with the pledge, we did pick like key partners, um, and. Uh, we, we made sure they were excited to be working with us. When I say we, we picked key partners, we offered like a few groups that we thought would um, be like pretty cohesive with what where we wanted to go. Um, but I, I get requests often for, for support for, mm-hmm. for these marginalized groups and, and the work's really important. Resources are limited, of course, um, but I try really hard to like do what I can to make sure... Um, all these groups are, are getting the support they need because it takes a lot of support. It takes a lot of support mm-hmm. to be getting people into these spaces who haven't been there before. Mm-hmm. And Black Diamond covers multiple areas of outdoor rec too. Can you kind of talk about how how do you handle that dynamic? Yeah. So as a company, you know, we make ski gear, um, specifically like backcountry skiing gear. Um, we make trail running gear and we make climbing gear. And then we have like a smattering of general outdoor products like tents and trekking poles and headlamps. A huge smattering, but. <laughs> um, and what what is tricky is like all of those are like pretty niche, right? Like, you know, um, people who are going to the resort, um, they're, they're probably not looking for like black diamond, you know, um, skis. You know, they might. I've seen them up there. They do a great job. But like. Um, we're, we're working in spaces that are already like really niche and hard to get into. It takes a lot of knowledge. It takes a lot of, um, experience to do it safely. Um, you know, and so there's a huge learning curve with the sports that we serve, um, which means that there's a lot of different ways that we can help people get into them. We offer, we work with partners to offer like, um, you know, know before you go classes about avalanche safety. We, um, work with partners at the AMGA to talk about, you know, um, climbing. We release, you know, we call them Tech Tip Tuesdays, like with those guys, and they talk about equipment and how to use it and how to not use it. <laughs> um, so with because things are so hard to get into, there's a lot of barriers. Um, there are a lot of things that we can do to, like, help eliminate those, um, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your role with Salt Lake Climbers Alliance. Can you tell me what you've been doing there and what totally. you're most excited about? <laughs> yes. So I am fairly recently um, the chair of the board of directors at the Salt Lake Climbers Alliance, or the SLCA. Um, I had previously worked with SLCA for a number of years. Um, I've been a volunteer on um, the communications committee to... Um, being a board member and that whole time and before that, you know, working with them in my position at Black Diamond. So I was um, really quite familiar with SLCA and um, really knew the value of the work that they do, especially now with this like continuous growth we've had of climbers in the Wasatch. Um, and uh, yeah, I took on the, the board chair position just like a couple months ago. So, so learning learning that as we go. But uh, what are some of maybe accomplishments or things um, that you've been a part of in maybe not 
the current role. <laughs> in your other or, or the current role. <laughs> but like the just like over the time that you've been kind of volunteering with SLCA, anything that really stands out? Yeah. Um I spent a lot of time thinking about this question as well. And the truth is is like um there's things I'm proud of doing. I'm like proud of like being able to like organically plug SLCA into like things I do at Black Diamond to pr- draw more awareness and support for them. Um, but I think uh, I'll be most proud if I can accomplish some of my goals I have as this board chair mm. over the next couple of years. So now I'm, it's being recorded. So now I'll be accountable. But, <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm, what I'm really hoping to do is, um, bring back some of that like community aspect to the SLCA, you know, um, before 2020, we had like more events and more things and more ways that people could actually connect and, and volunteer and help with, you know, the organization to like actually feel part of it. Um, and that has gone away. A lot of that is pandemic related. You know, there wasn't anything we could do about it, but we're, we're in a place now where like that's back, like we can bring that community back together. And I'd really like to find some additional ways that people can be involved. I'd like it to be easier for people to contact the SLCA. Um, I'd like to kind of change the perception that the SLCA is elite. You know, that like everybody is like any climber in this area, whether you climb in the gym or outside, is like part of the SLCA and you can like be active in it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to just open up those communication channels and open up some more opportunities mm-hmm. for people to like get to know the work and be part of it. I think, um, as this community grows, that's more and more important because, um, it's really hard to understand the value of the work if you don't know what we're doing. (laughs) So, um, I think that's, that's something I'll be proud of in a couple years, hopefully. (laughs) Oh, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. How do you, um, yeah, blend, blend the, you're, you're wearing like, (laughs) Two hats that are very overlapping in your roles at BD and then uh, SLCA. How do you handle that? <laughs> you know, um, with difficulty. <laughs> I, I just have to be really clear about what, in which role I'm reaching out to people. So, like, as stupid as it sounds, I'm like, I'm wearing my BD hat. Or, like, you know, I'm reaching out with my chairperson cap on. Like, you know, um because I do have to separate them so that um, it doesn't look mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, I just don't want it to seem like anything other than it is. So I'm just clarifying, like, I'm reaching out in this. You don't have to say yes because, you know, this is just me asking as BD. I'm not asking as the chairperson, you know. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, you have to, I have to be really clear. <laughs> so expectations. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so you had... Earlier, you were talking about um, you know providing mentorship opportunities for others who are coming into the sport or just needing to up their skills. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see that fitting into your role at SLCA or not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great question, and it's something that we kind of tussle with, you know, at the SLCA, and also like you know, at, in my work at Black Diamond, because it's like, whose job is it? Whose job is it to, like, teach people how to do this stuff safely? Like, 
you know, at Black Diamond, we make the gear, but do we also, like, do we have some kind of responsibility to teach people how to use it safely? At the SLCA, like, we're replacing all the bolts and we're building the drills and making it so that people can go. Do we need to teach them, like, how to clean a route, you know, because we're, you know, setting, you know, quick link anchors and not open gates. Like, mm-hmm. um, and as an industry, I think we're, we're needing, we're at a point where we need to figure that out. Um, you know, is it the gym's problem? Cause people are learning how to climb there and then they're going outside. Like, and all of us are kind of pointing at each other, like, <laughs> you know, um, so as far as like finding the place for mentorship at the SLCA, we do have education as one of our pillars, like one of our components that's supposed to be really core to the SLCA. We offer a lot of clinics at the events we do. Um, you know, our Salt Lake Climbing Fest is two days of clinics and you can pick everything from just like going to top rope outdoors for your first time to like you know, vertical rescue courses, you know, there, there's like things for every level. Um, it'd be great to like find more opportunities to present those things. It's a huge ask on the community. You know, that's a huge weight that our, um, outfitter partners, you know, all of the great guide companies that we have in the area take on for us. Um, they volunteer their time and their people and, um, at least for the fest. So we have to figure out some kind of um, infrastructure to to make sure that it's safe. Because, like, you know, we don't, we're not all certified guides at the SLCA. There's a good number, but we're we're not all certified guides. So figuring out how to serve that position is a little tricky. Um, But we are hoping that we can at least present opportunities for people to find each other. Um, cause there are, we have the experience in this community, you know? Um, so we also have great partnership groups that are doing the work like Slack and color the Wasatch. They do a lot of mentoring in their own groups. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Um, so how are you balancing <laughs> kind of your like, own personal life and trying to get outside, um, with BD yeah. and these partnerships and now being the, the chairperson of <laughs> the board of directors for SLCA. <laughs> um, I just have to do it with a lot of intention. Mm-hmm. Um, it There are times of the year where it's really easy and times of the year where I like feel like I'm just running all the time. Um, and I probably aren't like, I'm not balancing it super well. (laughs) Um, but I think just remembering to like be intentional because it's really easy for all of us to just like get busy and forget to like make time for the things that we care about for ourselves, you know? So I, I try to be really deliberate about making time for me to go climbing, you know, with my husband or with my girlfriends. Um, because that, is important and when you don't do it you notice you know like all this other anxiety builds up and you're like why am I like so on edge and then you're like well I haven't had any outlets <laughs> you know um so I I try to set up like a, a pretty deliberate routine that allows me to like get those things in like I wake up early and I go for a run in the morning with my dog like almost every day um so I you just have to be intentional and deliberate because um it's really easy in our society these days to let things get away from you and not be making time for the things that you actually need. Mm-hmm. 
What's the biggest challenge you see facing the community, either here in the Wasatch or just kind of bigger picture outdoor rec? Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges, there's a lot of challenges, I think, that we see coming. Um, I think one of the biggest one is just like this exponential growth we've had of people in the space. Um, and I kind of said this earlier, but like, like I mentioned, it's awesome. It's really, really great to like see people learning about the, you know, the access we have to these wonderful things and the benefits that they bring. Um, but there's, there's consequences for the like increased number of foot traffic and, um, the mentorship laps that we have, you know, where people are going out and, um, maybe they're not, they're not learning in the gym that it's not okay to chip holds when they head outside and they're like, why is this hold so bad? <laughs> you know? Um, so I think this like gap that we have in like the increased number of people and the limited number of mentors and the infrastructure of these places that we're all going out to. Um, you know, these, these places where we're going rock climbing and we're going hiking and we're going camping are fragile. Um, you know, they, they support so many other kinds of life and, uh, with our increased numbers kind of tromping in there with our crash pads, (laughs) you know, it, it has an effect. And so I think that's probably our, our biggest collective challenge as a community because, um, the growth itself isn't necessarily bad because that access is important. It's important to have, like, be providing access, but we've got to figure out a better way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be tricky because, like I mentioned earlier, we're all pointing at each other, like, whose job is this? <laughs> you know? So I think that's... Everyone's. Really, right? I know. Then that's the right answer. That's the right <laughs> answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, what um, impact do you hope to have? on both the climbing community and then also the outdoor recreation industry? Um, I hope that by the time I leave, that things are just a little bit better. That like the company I work for thinks about things a little different and makes choices differently um, and puts other values before things that they might have put as the number one priority in the past. Um, I think we're on a good route with that. Um, but you know, uh, there it's, it's a, it's a fight, uh, to, to kind of get people all on board. Cause at the end of the day, it's also a business. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I hope that when I leave, things are a little bit better. I hope that my, the programs that we've worked on with these partners are like, known and accessible to people and people are taking advantage of them and we are getting like a more diverse community that like cares about each other and like yeah I don't know I just hope it's a little bit better after mm-hmm. after I leave <laughs> well, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you would like to share about not that I can whip up (laughs) (laughs) well thank you then yeah thank you for coming and chatting of course thank you (laughs) 
Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please keep in mind that the views and opinions expressed in this interview are solely those of the oral history participants and do not reflect any views, opinions, or official policy at the University of Utah or the J. Willard Marriott Library. For more information about this podcast, check out the ascentarchive.lib.utah.edu. That's A-S-C-E-N-T-A-R-C-H-I-V-E dot L-I-B dot Utah dot E-D-U. The Ascent Archive podcast team includes librarians Tally Casucci and myself, Rachel Whitman. Special thanks to Leah Donaldson for graphic and website design, Brian Elias Hull for music, and thanks to the University of Utah Special Collections and the American West Center. And lastly, the rock climbing community for participating in these interviews and listening. Mm-hmm.